good to be with all of you this morning. Um, welcome to those who are watching with us too online. And it is a privilege. I feel very privileged that Pastor Larry asked me to uh, share the word with you this morning. And I do not take that lightly. I'm excited. And I hope we have a, a good morning today as, as we get into God's word. Um, interesting enough about this sermon, I actually started preparing it a little over a year ago now. And I had a Sunday set in the church that we had come from before in which I was supposed to preach this sermon on this passage. And that turned out to be the very Sunday of the beginning of that three-week or four-week lockdown. And so I put this up on the shelf and just kind of looked at it once in a while. And uh, when uh, Larry asked me to preach, I said, hey, I've got one. I've got one halfway done. It's half-baked. And uh, I'll put it together and, and I'll be able to share it. So... Um, our passage today, if you want to turn there with me, it's going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 23. And we're going to go ahead and read the passage together, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to walk through it together. And I just want to encourage you that as I read, try to just get lost in the words and in the story as it moves along, and put yourself in that exact position of Jehoshaphat, as we'll see, and his people. And so it says this, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Mennonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, Ein Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations and in your hand are power and might so that none is able to stand against you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house and will cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming out to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. 
You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army, and they said, Give thanks to the Lord. For his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We're here before you and we're here before your word and we're here before you as the people were before Jehaziel. We're waiting to hear, Lord, your precious and holy word. May we trust it. May we believe it. And may it cause us to succeed, Lord. May it cause us to be found in you, holy and blameless, is our prayer in your holy name. Amen. Kings mattered very much in the ancient Near East in the ancient world and they were actually seen to sort of be people that were standing between heaven and earth and in, and in fact they were. Their rule was expected in the best cases, in the best scenarios to bring life and peace and security but their ill actions, their wrong decisions also had an incredibly great ability to bring disaster and calamity and ill upon an entire nation, upon an entire people. They represented their people. They represented God to their people and their people to the gods, or in this case, the one true God. So where does our text begin? Our text actually begins with a small phrase, after this. <laughs> and it creates kind of an interesting situation for the preacher because he wants to begin there, but he can't because I have this thing that says after this. And so the question is, after what? And so what's critical to our text is actually three chapters that have preceded this. And I can't cover all those in detail, but what I can do is we can kind of zoom in on some important background points. We need to see what Jehoshaphat has been up to prior to our passage in order to understand the one that we're reading today. And so if you kind of back up to chapter 17 in verse 3, we get to be we, we begin to be told a little bit about Jehoshaphat's resume and kind of what kind of a king he's like and what happens to him and the choices that he makes. And so in chapter 17 verse 3 it says that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. That's a good thing. That's a good that's a good stamp of approval from the author of Chronicles. He says the Lord was with him and he walked like David that's also very good. That's a, that's If it's on your resume as an Israelite king that you walked like David, that's very good. And in verse 6, chapter six, uh, 17, verse 6, it says, His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. He had courage. He, 
the Lord was with him. He walked like David. In verses 9 and 10 of chapter 17, it says that he sent out teachers, Levites, with the book of the law. And they were going about all the land of Judah and Jerusalem and even in parts of uh, Israel. And they were teaching the people from, this is a really old way to say the Bible, right? (laughs) They had the book of the law, of of God's law, and they were teaching people. And this is the result of all of this that Jehoshaphat was doing in chapter 17. In 17 verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord fell upon the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah. And then it says, And they made no war against Jehoshaphat. And more than that, it says that the surrounding nations were bringing tribute to Jehoshaphat in verse 11, and that he had a military fighting force of 1,160,000. This is good. These are the good old days in chapter 17. We got something good happening. There's, the nations are they're hands off. They're not even going to touch Judah in Jerusalem. There's something divine going on there. Jehoshaphat is king. He's, he's walking in power. The law is going out. The people are living righteously. And all is well. But in chapter 18, something changes a little bit. Jehoshaphat gives in to the temptation to seek after political and economic security as a king. Very valued thing in the ancient Near East. At any second, a nation could come in and clobber you and take everything you had. Your wives, your children, your lands. They'd kill all of your male children. They would wipe you off the planet. And so security... Economic and military security was very tempting to the kings of Israel to go and seek it from somewhere else except besides from the true God, from Yahweh. And so in 18 verse 1 of Second Chronicles, we read that he makes an alliance with wicked King Ahab in northern Israel. And not only that, he says, we're going to be with you in this war that you're pursuing. And there was a battle that happens at a place called Ramoth Gilead. And God makes it clear through a prophet that he is not with Ahab, that he is not in this battle, and that in fact God is going to use this ill-timed battle to bring judgment on Ahab. And our king, with the good resume, is joining in with Ahab in this battle. He's helping him. My people will be with you as your people, he says. He's making an alliance with him. He's not trusting in Yahweh. And so he goes into this battle, Ahab dies, and Jehoshaphat barely survives. And I mean barely. He almost gets attacked, and then they find out he's the king of Israel, and they're like, no, we're after Ahab. So they turn from him, and they get Ahab. Ahab dies. A horrible death. Jehoshaphat barely escapes. And so then we read in 19... Verse 1, the next chapter, it says, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. So he's like, that was bad, right? I gave in a temptation. I, I, I got in with Ahab and that went bad. Okay, I'm back home. All right, I'm back in Jerusalem. Whew, let's just try to forget that happened. But we have verse 2. But Jehu. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the astro, the false gods, out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. This is like getting home late at night from that party you shouldn't have been at and you think your parents are sleeping. And you're just going to sneak into your bed? 
And then, and then you get the butt Jehu moment. Like, but mom and dad, they're actually up and they're sitting on the couch and they turn the lights down and so lights pop on and there's your dad and he turns around and you're in trouble. This is Jehoshaphat. Right? Right? You thought you snuck into your palace in Jerusalem and Jehu's like, oh no, the Lord sees you. That was a bad move, man. That was a very, very bad move. And in fact, wrath, the anger, and in Hebrew it's ketzef, the anger, God's anger has gone out against Jehoshaphat for this. And he's walking on eggshells. And so in, in, as you read along in this very small chapter 19, it's only like 11 verses, he starts going around again. He starts doing a revival again. And, but it, now he's kind of paranoid. And you can tell in the text, it's like over and over and over, he tells the judges that he appoints in all the land, he says various things like this, Consider what you do. Be careful. Don't take bribes. Fear the Lord. Right? And, and why? Why is he saying, fear the Lord, keep the law. You know, everyone, make sure everything's okay, you know? Because he just got this prophecy. He knows that God's anger is coming out toward him. He, God's just anger, God's holy wrath. Jehoshaphat, you've, you've really messed this up. And, he, and he's kind of afraid. And so he tells the judges finally the reason why he's saying, be careful, don't take bribes, keep the law of the Lord, is so that we may not incur guilt from the Lord. And then he says this, and wrath may not come upon you and your brothers. Right? And that's the same word there in, in Hebrew. It's kesef. So Jehu says, God's anger has gone out against you, Jehoshaphat. And he kind of tries to make sure his kingdom's all good. Everyone's keeping the law. Everyone's doing everything right. And he tells him the same thing Jehu told him. Do all this good stuff because unless God's anger, unless God's wrath goes again, goes out after you. And so this is the backdrop of after this. Right? This is all that, after all that, we read in 20, verse 1 to 3, that the Ammonites and the Moabites and the people from Edom are all gathering around Judah and Jerusalem to destroy it. Here is a complete reversal of Jehoshaphat's previous state. It's a day of reckoning for Jehoshaphat. It's that day that he was like, I hope this day doesn't come. Everyone... You know, keep it together. Let's keep the law. Let's do, because this day is hanging over his head and now it's here. It's a complete reversal. So now in verse 20, not only are the surrounding nations no longer afraid of God's people, but they're emboldened against Judah. They plan to attack it. And not only is Jehoshaphat no longer courageous, courageous, but we're told in verse 3 that he's actually terrified. Now, now he's filled with fear. His courage has left him. Not only are the nations no longer bringing tribute to Jehoshaphat, but as the practice of ancient warfare, they surely planned to take all of their possessions when they wiped them out. So the tribute's gone, and now they have plans to take all of the gold and silver and all the precious holy items in the temple. And finally, not only is his fighting force of 1,160,000 not enough to stand against the coming army, but he himself refers to all the citizens of Judah as, quote, powerless. Jehoshaphat's world is, is, has fallen apart. That day has come. So the son of David, the king, who stands between heaven and earth, the representative of Israel, his ill actions has brought judgment on all Jerusalem and on all Judah. And he's in absolute terror. He knows what's going to happen to the women and to the children and to the men. He knows they're going to be dragged away. They're going to become slaves. They're going to be slaughtered. They're going to be killed. And all the holy things in God's temple, the place where God himself has said, I will 
set my name there. And I'll never take it away from there. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. The temple's going to be raised. It's going to be ransacked. And he knows this. And now it's hanging over him. And he gets this news that they're at Ain Gedi. That's the ancient geographical equivalent of someone is knocking at your front door. It takes 15 to 20 hours to make that ascent up to the hill of Jerusalem. And when you're talking about nations, that's like somebody knocking at the door. And all he can think about is the words of the prophet Jehu. Wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. That's all he can think about. So with nothing left, all he can think of, he summons all the cities of Judah to the court of the temple and he calls a nationwide fast in verses 3 to 5. And he does the only thing he knows how to do. He begins to pray. He prays. And he pulls out all the stops. He pulls out everything he's got. And he makes at least four appeals in this prayer. In verses 5 to 6, he appeals to God's status. And then he appeals to God's power. He appeals to God's status. He says, you're the God in heaven. Aren't you God? You're, you're up there. Surely there's something up there. Surely you command heavenly armies. Surely there's angels and attendants who, who can take care of this, who can save us from this dilemma. Aren't you the God in heaven? And then he appeals to his power. Aren't you the king of the nations, of all the nations? And in fact, the nations that are at his doorstep. He is the king of the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites. He's the king over all. And no wars happen without his ultimate sovereign permission. This is the Holy One. This is the Creator. This is the one who God's people for ages have called him. Every time they say his name, they say, blessed be he. This is him. This is the king. And he makes an admission. Aren't you the king? Well, you're the king, Jehoshaphat. But in this moment of prayer, he's like, hey, you're the king. You're God in heaven. You're the king. Surely you can call this battle off. Surely you can do it. His next appeal is to God's integrity. And this is where he unleashes, in verses 7 through 9, he really unleashes what's a form of a divine history lesson at God. Right? Which is really tied to that is emergency use only. Right? You don't don't want to do this every day. Like, all right, God, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to tell you everything that's happened in our past. And God's like, well, I already know. But he tells him anyway. He mentions Abraham and the, the conquest of the land. And he mentions Solomon. Right? He said, what about Abraham? You loved him, right? And, and in Hebrew, I think your translation calls Abraham the friend of God. In Hebrew, it's your loved one. It's, you love Abraham, right? You, you might not love me right now. You're angry at me right now. But, but you love Abraham, right? And you promised that all of his seed would be given the land. Surely you won't go back on that promise. Surely you would never do that. Not, not to Abraham. You said you'd give it to him forever. Not just for a moment, but you, you promised you'd give it to him forever. And what about the land? We've been living in it and we've built a temple here. You're, you're not going to undo all that, Lord. Surely this is your name. This is your temple. These are your people. You, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go back on your word, would you, O Lord? And, and Solomon, he mentioned Solomon. Remember when Solomon was standing right where I am, Lord. Before, not too long before, and he was standing right here and he was blessing your temple at the dedication of the temple when he built it. And he prayed, oh, Lord, if calamity or famine or hunger or sword or judgment, then we'll pray to you in this place and you'll surely hear and answer and save us. Lord, you listen to Solomon. Well, surely he he spoke the truth and, and he was speaking according to your word. Won't you answer Solomon's prayer? And. I just want to point this out to you because I actually just thought it was somewhat humorous that we have a praying king quoting directly 
from a praying king. We're like in Inception now. Like this is Alice in Wonderland. We're like uh, praying kings inside of praying kings inside of praying kings. I mean, he's pulling out all this. He's like, where, where can I go? Well, who can I quote from? Uh, there was another king and he prayed. I'll get it from that and put in my prayer. Right? So he's, he's going all the way. Finally, he makes an appeal to God's justice in verse 10. And it says, and, and, and the gist of this is he mentions that when they come into the land from Egypt, that God says, hey, don't mess with the Edomites because the Edomites, their ancestor is who? Esau. And I gave this land to Esau and to his descendants, the Edomites. And I gave you the land of Canaan. So don't mess with them when you come into the land from Egypt. And Israel said, okay, we won't. And they didn't. So now Jehoshaphat's bringing that back. He's saying, hey, well, we, when we came in, we didn't take their stuff. But now we're here and this is our rightful land that you've given us. And now they want to take our lunch. And so Jehoshaphat's like, that's not fair. He's really like, dad, that's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> you know, this is, uh, this is my chuck. And he's trying to take my chuck. And, and, you know, and he's, so he's pulling out all the stuff. And what he's telling God is, if you don't save us from this army, it will be unjust. And certainly, God, you don't want to look unjust. And so when he finishes his prayer, the entire nation, men, women, children, everyone, is standing there. And they're waiting. And they're into this silence breaks the, the spirit of the Lord and it comes upon Jehaziel, the son. It says the son of and the son of the son of. Then finally it says he's a, a Levite of the sons of Asap. He's a, a, essentially he's a proper worship leader, right? And so he stands up and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, right? This is the Lord's battle. He's going to fight it for you. And like a mother who comforts her own children. Think about these words, how God repeats it over and over. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. Think about when you, you were young and, and it was that dark room. You don't know why you were so terrified, but you were terrified. You needed light. And your mother comes in and says, shh, 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 quiet, quiet. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I love you. I'm here. Shh. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's God. That's the word of God and what it said to them. And so what is the response? The king falls on his face to the ground and the nation falls down before God. They were on the brink of destruction and the word of God comes in and says, you are not going to be destroyed. I am with you. I am the king of nations. I'm the king of Israel. I am the God of heaven, Jehoshaphat. I did make a promise to Abraham. I did make a promise to Solomon. I did give you this land. I do love this temple and this place and I am going to answer your prayer. And so they fall down in worship. And in the morning, Jehoshaphat's courage is restored and he essentially preaches a sermon, right? It says, believe in the Lord, believe in his prophets, right? They're marching out to meet their enemy in battle, knowing that the Lord is going to fight for them. They won't have to do anything. All they have to do is stand still and watch the Lord win it. And they believe that word. And that's still the way the church is preaching. We're, we're one with Israel. We are still saying what Jehoshaphat said. Believe in the Lord and believe his prophets and you will succeed. We're still saying that and we'll say it forever. And so the gospel is here. And so he, not only does he preach a sermon, but then he throws in a worship set. Sets up all the Levites right in front of the army. <laughs> and they go before the army and they're, they're doing battle with praises. And this is true holy war fashion. Think of when Joshua, the way he defeated Jericho. He defeated Jericho 
with worship. They literally, they danced around and sang to the Lord for like seven days and the walls came down and they went right in. They defeated a nation with worship. And so these people are worshiping. At this point, someone might say, well, what about Jesus? I, I came to hear a Christian sermon, Derek, and I haven't heard anything about Jesus or the gospel or anything in the New Testament yet. You know, when, when am I going to get that? And, I, and I'd say you've gotten that the whole time. And we don't often find these explicit notices in the Old Testament of hey, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary, turn, turn left or turn right. But what we do find is that Jesus actually lives out these stories in his own life. And that his life reflects the nature of the stories of Israel. And sometimes it's in the similarities and sometimes it's in the differences. And so you see there's another king besides Jehoshaphat, a great, 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 great grandson of Jehoshaphat, descended from him and ruler and also representative of all Israel. And like Jehoshaphat, he confronts the reality of his approaching death. And like Jehoshaphat, the nations around him betray him and attack him unjustly, Herod. Pontius Pilate and the Jewish rulers. And like Jehoshaphat, he sees the destruction that awaits him and is afraid. We read in Mark's gospel that before his betrayal and crucifixion, Jesus, quote, began to be greatly distressed and troubled and said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Like Jehoshaphat, he feels powerless and he does the only thing he can. He prays in the garden on the Mount of Olives. And what does he say? Like Jehoshaphat, he appeals to God's status. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That's who you are. You're my Father. You're the God in heaven. And he appeals to his power. All things are possible for you. You're the King of the nations. You're the King of the world. All things are possible for you, Father. And finally, he makes an appeal to his mercy. Please, please, oh God, remove this up from me. Let my story end like Jehoshaphat's story. Jesus read this text many, many, many times and he was praying for that ending, that salvation, that deliverance. Like Jehoshaphat, he resigns himself into the hands of God. Jehoshaphat prays, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And Jesus prays, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Both prayed, both were heard. But here's where the similarities end and the contrast begins. In the last portions of our text, here's the surprises that Jesus doesn't take on the role of Jehoshaphat in Israel, but rather the Ammonites, the Moabites and the Edomites. That's the role that he fills at the end of the story because instead of an ambush being set by the Lord against Jesus' enemies, Jesus' enemies set an ambush for the Lord. And like the Edomites, Jesus himself in his story, he's not the one who's delivered. He's the one who's devoted to destruction. There would be no deliverance for Jesus from the cross. He would have to die. He would have to go through it. And hanging over our text this whole time is the fact that Jehoshaphat's own name means Yahweh has judged. And Jesus' name means Yahweh has saved. 
But it's the one whose name means Yahweh has judged who experiences deliverance. And it's the one whose very name means deliverance who's delivered up. Who's devoted to destruction. The story changes. And so for Jesus, there would be no singing of joy. There would be no shouts of deliverance. Not on the cross. There would be, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in effect, Jesus is more Jehoshaphat than Jehoshaphat himself is. Because he more fully bears the meaning of his name. Judged in our place. He bears the wrath. He bears the guilt, the shame, the curse, the ridicule. And we go free. We are delivered. We are answered, loved, and spared from death. And then we get it. And then we get it when we read in the New Testament in Paul, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Believe the Lord. Believe his prophets. And may we always be like the Levites who went out before this army, singing, shouting, worshiping, and saying, Give thanks to the Lord, because his steadfast love endures forever. Amen.